What a great day. Got to hear these stories and um, all we can say is God is great. So as we go into this time together, um, yeah, let's heed his word and uh, by the power of his Holy Spirit in us, uh, may we get to obey him and uh, live for him together. Um, <clears throat> just a few words about yesterday. Thank you so much for uh, for all of you, whether you are here or not, uh, I really appreciate it, uh, just being able to uh, celebrate uh, this, the moment of my ordination uh, with UR Church. Um, it, it's, it was very um, uh, humbling for me to uh, get to see God's hand in our church and in my own journey too. So thank you um, for that. I, I'm really uh, excited now even more uh, to uh, serve you all as an ordained minister now. So thank you. Just want to say that one more time. Um, but today, uh, in terms of the word uh, that we'll be hearing from, uh, it's found in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. Uh, we're continuing on uh, in the book of Mark, and uh, just wanted to remind us that we are uh, in the season of Advent, uh, which is really uh, time designed uh, for us to remember what Christmas, Christmas means, which is um, God becoming human to dwell with us uh, as as real being, not just a cerebral person, cerebral being, but he is real. And as we continue on in book of Mark, we get to see uh, the story of Jesus. So may uh, this story also today uh, really touch our hearts in real ways. Uh, so let me pray. Uh, let me read the passage for us, and then pray, and then we'll uh, jump right into our time together uh, for the sermon. Mark six seven through thirteen. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. That is God's mighty word. Uh, let me pray for us and uh, we'll um, continue on. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you are doing through your word. It's living and active. And I know that right now, without a shadow of doubt that you are here with us and the working in our hearts through your spirit. So may you awaken our hearts right now to your word and help us to heed your word and uh, be transformed um, in the ways that only um, we can by your strength and work, God. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, three points for us. Uh, those are the sovereignty in the preparation, 
and the sovereignty in the process, and the thirdly, the sovereignty in the outcome. And the title for the sermon is The Sovereignty of Jesus in Our Works. First, the sovereignty in, our, in the preparation. Verse 7, uh, Mark says, And Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So here, Jesus is calling the 12 disciples and sending them out to extend his ministry through their hands in the world, and he has given his authority. That's what he says. And just think about it. It's an incredible privilege because later we see in the passage that, uh, specifically in verses 12 to 13, uh, we read that these sent out uh, disciples and missionaries uh, do the very things that Jesus has done. Uh, namely, teaching with authority and uh, healing and even casting out demons. And I thought of Marvel superheroes. They're like just, uh, I can remind you that these are people from a humble origin. You know, they were uh, mostly fishermen. But now here they are with their hands and words doing crazy things. You know, again, casting out demons and healing. It must have been really cool. Um, but what we must notice here is, is this, that this privilege of doing the work of Jesus and doing even miracles did not come quickly or easily in any way. Because back in Mark chapter 1, uh, there we see you know, Jesus calling um, you know, some of these disciples uh, from their fishing professions and then promise them that there will be fishers of men. Great. But no sign of fulfilling that promise. Uh, and then Mark chapter 3, that's when we see uh, specifically Jesus calling these 12 people and uh, you know, tell them that uh, he has a purpose for them, which is sending them out uh, with authority and you know, preach and cast out demons. Great promise, chapter 3 but nothing happens between then and now. The question then is, you know, why such a delay? You know, why couldn't Jesus just you know, fulfill his promise right away? The answer is found in chapter 3, the, the place that, that I just referred to. So let's read together. Let me read for us, uh, but follow with me here. It says, And he went up on the mountain and called to them those whom he desired, and he came to, they came to him, and he, he appointed twelve, whom he also called apostles, so that they might be with them, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. The key words there is that, that they might be with him, even before he cast them out, because that is the essential element of true discipleship. Before you do anything, the main purpose of being a follower of Christ is that you stay with Jesus. What does that mean? Like, what, do you, what happens when you stay with somebody? Uh, I think you can imagine them going to many different places with Jesus, right? And I, I can think of even the place of, you know, them sleeping in the same um, cots or 
uh, room, and maybe they heard Jesus snoring. Real person, right? And they might have seen him just eating with them and doing all these unfiltered things. And what they must have noticed is that he's a real deal. A lot of people who are these great people, after they do a lot of, you know, fantastic performances in front of the public, they go home and they look a little different. Maybe their character is not as suave. Maybe their character is not as refined and even godly. But they might have seen Jesus to be the same as the one in, the, in public and in private. And as they saw him, they must have learned, my goodness, I have to be like him. And so their character would have grown as they spent time with him. What that means is this. For a lot of Christians, the temptation is your desire to do things is so strong. You want to serve, you want to do great things for God. But without the attitude of Jesus, who was humble, who didn't use people, but who selflessly served people because he was confident in himself. He didn't have to use other people to fill his own insecurity, right? But a lot of people, they, when, they, when, when, even, when they serve other people, they end up trying to elevate themselves, even you know, subtly. But they saw in Jesus something very different. And that's why it should happen for Christians. Instead of doing, 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 and that becomes your identity. You know, if, you, if your doing goes great, you, know, you feel better about yourself. But when you fail at what you do, even service at church, oh, I'm terrible. But Jesus is saying, no, your identity should be who you are in Christ. You don't have to fear anything. You don't have to be distrust about anything about what you do because your identity has to be who you are in Christ, not what you do. And if Christians lose that pattern, that's when they start destroying themselves and other people, even the, even the people they serve, through that attitude and pattern. Um, I don't know if you know uh, this person, this celebrity uh, named Aaron Carter. Uh, you know, he passed away recently, right? And uh, it's very tragic, and I know um, the, the details of how he passed is still coming out, but uh, for some reason, for me, um, even before he passed, I became curious about who he is and, you know, what happened in his life. So I started reading a lot of articles about him, a lot of, you know, watch, started watching a lot of videos about him. And I find out that, you know, he became very famous at the age of nine. He sold millions of uh, albums, copies. Um, to the point that he became, um, you know, rich and famous. And I saw a video uh, where he, as a teenager, is showing around his, his crib, uh, you know, his, his place. And, uh, like, he showed, like, these fancy cars, like Mercedes and, you know, like, Cadillac. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he's a teenager. 
and then he has his own you know music studio with all these you know expensive equipment. So for a second, I got really jealous. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. But then I find out um, what happened behind the, the veils of fame and you know money and all of that. He struggled a lot with the relationships and substance and all these things. And, and when I saw what he went through, I was like, man, poor guy. He was given all these things on the outside, but he was so young, he couldn't handle any of that. He was being killed by these things. And as you may know, you know, these are not unique stories just for Aaron. Um, a lot of celebrities you know, who became famous in their early ages go through similar stories. To me, what they testify to is without that inner capacity to handle power, fame, and all these things, you destroy yourself. You destroy other people. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It was his love for his disciples uh, that he held back. He held them back from having all these authorities and powers right away so that they can grow in their character in Jesus and actually utilize the power in the right way. I don't know about you, um, but um, for me, um, I know I have a lot of privileges in my life. It may not be being you know, sent out to cast out demons. I, I believe that's you know, reserved for the apostles at the time. But I have a lot of privileges, a lot of blessings that I've been given to do God's work. Of course, you know, as a pastor, you know, preaching to you and all these things. But I believe all of you have all those things in your life, whether at work or school, you know, relationships, all those things are you know, God-given privileges that you could use to glorify God with. And the reminder and caution here is that if we're not careful, those things can swallow us because we cannot handle them without the inner power, inner strength that only comes from being with Jesus. And I would encourage you, if you find yourself too busy to carve out a time with Jesus daily, maybe you are too busy. Maybe you are in need of carving out some time of rest for yourself and for your soul. And that's important because, again, without that, we get destroyed. So the sovereignty in the preparation Jesus wants us to slow down and grow in our inner character before we do anything on the outside. Second, the sovereignty in the process. So now that he has prepared them, he's sending them out you know, for his great works in his field. But then Jesus tells them something strange to do. So follow with me here. Verses 8 and 9. It says, He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, 
no money in their belts, uh, but to wear sandals and not put on any, uh, or two tunics, not put on two tunics. Uh, basically, Jesus is telling them to take only the bare minimum essentials here. You know, the, the staff, you're like, wait, why is that essential? Well, no car at the time, right? So they're to walk around a lot in their journey, and they need some support. So it's essential at the time. And of course, sandals. Can you imagine, you know, walking all these uh, dirt roads and unpaved roads at the time without sandals and, and shoes? And the two tunics there, what that means is do not take uh, spare tunics, but he's saying to just take one, one tunic, as in one jacket, for your warmth. Essential. But then other than that, he's saying no bread, no food, no bag, no money, nothing. And then we read in verse 10 that Jesus is expecting them to rely on the generosity of people to provide for them uh, food and housing. The question is, why is Jesus doing this to his beloved disciples? Why is he holding all these things back? A good clue of that is found in Judges 7, 2, chapter 7, verse 2, where it says, The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many, for me to give the Midianites into your hands, into their hands, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. The context here is that the Midianites were enemies of Israel in Old Testament, and they're oppressing Israelites. Uh, and they cry out to God, and God, in his great mercy, sends you know, Gideon uh, as a leader to deliver them from their enemies. And what's interesting in the context is that um, God tells Gideon to reduce his army down to not 1,000, not 900, but all the way down to 300 to face 135,000 Midianites. But guess what? The Israelites, 300 men, defeat 135,000 professional soldiers. And through that, and through the verse that we just read, God was showing Israelites that I delivered you. No, you had no chance. 300 men, the cowards who couldn't even do anything, it was all my strength that delivered you. Don't ever boast over me. And that's the principle that we find back in Mark. The disciples are only are to take these essentials, the bare minimum, not even food. They had to beg, they had to put, their, put themselves in the mercy of uh, good people on the road for their sustenance and housing. Why? Why is that? Because God had to be glorified through them, not their own material security and abilities. God is the only Savior who gets the credit. And God's people are to rely on God's provision instead of relying ourselves on what we can do to secure um, our deliverance. 
I think I shared this story before here and there, um, but um, when Deb and I, my wife and I joined CLC uh, five years ago, uh, it was a challenging move. It was a really challenging move. Um, you know, at that time, uh, you know, Deb and I were pretty settled down in, in Chicago area. Uh, you know, we had a house there that we had bought not too long ago, and I was a youth pastor in, in Wisconsin for two and a half years, and Deb had been working for her company for you know close to six, six years. So first company that she you know, started working for after college. Uh, but I think at that time, you know, we were praying about our future and we really felt convicted to uh, move away, uh, going to different you know, ministry and setting. And the Minnesota came to be one of our options. And uh, just to be really honest, you know, I was really praying for sunny California. But instead we're you know, coming to sunny yet cold Minnesota. But here we were, you know, we felt really convicted, especially visiting CLC at the time, and, you know, we really wanted to, you know, follow God's will. And we wanted to just take a leap of faith uh, instead of, like, calculating things, and we know that would, like, stop us from making that leap of faith. So we, we did it. We, like, literally quit everything. Deb quit our job. I, I stepped down from my ministry. And then we sold our house, and then Little just came up here uh, for the retreat that I was speaking at here, and uh, uh, I spoke, and then we hit the road to find an apartment <laughs> in the area. Like, we literally planned nothing. We just wanted to just come. And uh, as you can imagine, in that scenario, it was so hard. I mean, by God's grace, we could find the apartment um, That's one of the to me, one of the miraculous provisions of God. But uh, even after we found a place to live in, um, there were a lot of difficulties. Uh, one of the, the most difficult one was uh, for Deb. You know, she uh, you know, was applying for jobs here to continue her you know, engineering career, but she couldn't find it for, I think, close to six months. Um, and I think as a husband, as the, the man of the family, the leader of the family, that really made me feel terrible. I really felt like I let her down by, you know, leading her to a new place and quitting her job and things like that. Uh, to the point that when I was doing a checkup with my doctor, she's like asking all these questions, and she, she was saying right away that, Aiden, I think you're depressed. It's a difficult time. It was, in a lot of ways, I was really broken. Um, but then during that time, um, a lot of strange things happened. Um, we're, at some point, um, we're having a, some financial difficulty. And then, um, next thing I know, I go to my mailbox, and I find a check with a considerable amount of money from a friend that, weren't that wasn't that close to me. We, we hadn't talked to each other for years, but he sent me money out of nowhere. Things like that. I mean, God provided many different things in random ways like that during that time. And at the end of the year, when we were having some you know, recap time to think about what happened, and by that point, you know, that found her job too. Um, and I remember writing in my journal uh, saying like verbatim, like, wow, God 
really totally provides everything. I must not uh, worry about anything in my life. And I share this story um, not to, you know, just show off what happened, but, and of course, I also have to remind us that this does not, you know, call for reckless planning. I think for our part, uh, you know, we didn't have kids at the time, so we were able to make more bold move like that, but it might be a different story to be faithful. I think it might be, it might look different for us right now with two kids. But I think for me, when I look back at those moments, I feel chills and I'm so grateful that God allowed me and my wife to experience that. That God is real and his provision is real when you are following God's will. So my question for you all, my challenge for you all um, is as you examine your life right now, um, you know, is there any, um, like as you consider your budget perhaps, uh, is there any item um, that you could um, allow for other people? Or is that hard because we're not used to allotting that special budget uh, in our budget? And he's happy right now. So praise God. Let's keep it that way. Um, another question is, um, where, are, where am I? <laughs> um, I think another question, another challenge for us is this. I think as we just have passed Black Friday, I think the temptation in this country is that you have to have some things in your hand to be happy. It's, it's ridiculous in my mind, like how many things that we buy on Amazon and all, and God bless Amazon, but uh, Target and every, God bless Target too. Um, but you see what I mean? You know, in, the, in a country like ours, there are a lot of stuff that we buy and we think that that's gonna make us satisfied even temporarily, right? My challenge for us is, are there any things that we could refrain ourselves um, from buying so that we can train ourselves to be satisfied by the, the real being, God of the universe, who can truly satisfy us? So that's my challenge for us. Um, if you want to be happy like that, please uh, examine yourself and, and see how God can meet your needs much better and more than what things can do because God does provide. Third and last, the sovereignty in the outcome. In the outcome. So we just saw God's sovereignty over our needs. He provides He's sovereign over what we need um, in the process, but we also get to see here, lastly, that he's sovereign over the result too. So he's sovereign over preparation, process, and also the result. Verse 10 and 11, it says, And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, 
when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. What Jesus is showing here is this, uh, that you know, when, when the disciples share the, the message of the gospel with people, some will receive that message with joy, but inevitably there, there will be people who will reject their message. And that's a reality. And I think Jesus is warning them here because uh, perhaps some disciples might have felt that when they heard that they have authority of Jesus now, they would have thought, that means I'll get 100% success rate. Everybody has to obey me, obey my word, because I have Jesus, you know, under my belt, so to speak. But Jesus is saying that that's not the case. It's because some people will resist God's word, and that's the reality. The fact of the matter is, they're not the ones that are sovereign over the decisions and success rate of their evangelism. It is God. God is the one who changes people's hearts, not them. Humans have no power like that. We have no control like that over other people's hearts and how they you know, live and behave. Only God is in control over that, over the result of our work for God. And what that means is the job of the disciples is to be faithful to what they are called to do, but do not prism upon the success or failure of their work. All they have to do, don't worry about whether you're going to succeed or not. All you have to do is just do all you can to be faithful. And let me share just two verses with you uh, from Old Testament talking about the God's sovereignty of uh, the results of our works. Now, Genesis 50, 20, it says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God is good. Not just suffer, he's good. Proverbs 19, 21, it says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. If you believe that as God's word, that means you are free from anxiety, right? Because he's got the result. Don't worry about that. You just do what you can. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've been following World Cup uh, recently, and um, I mean, I have to admit, Following as in, you know, following Google updates. I don't actually watch them. Um, but it's, it's really showing me a lot of my ugly side, um, to be honest. Because I realize that I really hate losing. So whenever I see teams that I cheer for lose, I'm not happy. And one such team was uh, England. And... Uh, and uh, the, the captain of the team, Harry Kane, missed a penalty. And to be really honest, I was so frustrated. I was like, dude, just get it in. What's wrong with you? Ah, I'm, I'm sorry for you. I know it's, it's hard for you, but ah, come on. 
So I was just, just really frustrated. I was like, oh, man. Um, but then I read a BBC article about the same game. Um, and it's interesting. BBC is normal. I don't know if you follow BBC. I, I'm, I'm a fan, um, by the way. But uh, they're pretty like critical normally. But for this occasion, uh, they admitted that it was really disappointing that they lost. But they were praising this team. They're praising Harry Kane. They're praising uh, all their efforts and how, you know, though they may have lost, but their performance was excellent. So there's a lot of hope for the future for the team. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was more critical than BBC. <sighs> I think to me, what, what that uh, said to me was that what, there's something that matters more than whether you, you know, win or lose. There's something that is more valuable than the result. What's more valuable is the process, you know, how you, uh, what kind of heart and you know, you know, motive uh, you have about things so that you enjoy what you do during the process regardless of um, the result. And to me, that's why the World Cup is fun, right? You know, the players, you know, play hard. I mean, for the result, of course, but, you know, regardless of what's going to happen, they do their best. And that's amazing. And I think, for me, um, one thing that we have to watch out for as Christians is that we can be overly upset with uh, success because we've been trained by the world to be successful. You know, none of us are trained to, you know, like fail your class. We are all trained to want to, you know, pass your class or get, you know, A's or B's, right? And spiritually too, you know, when we are not careful, you know, we may constantly look for the success of what we do, even spiritually. But the reminder here is that the result belongs to the Lord. Result belongs to the Lord. That says a lot to our church, first of all, as we you know, continue to grow and move forward. We should not um, have the success, whatever that means, as a goal. Our job is to be faithful in the word and in our growth. And individually, you know, whatever you're doing to glorify God in your school, work, even ministering to people uh, for the gospel, success is not your, not your job. Your job is to be faithful and let God figure out whether success or failure, especially when it comes to ministering to people for the gospel. You cannot control people's hearts. Only God can. So I want to charge, uh, charge us right now in light of what we hear. CLC, let's be faithful. Leave, leave the success or failure to God and leave our provisions to God instead of trying to control things along the way. Let us trust Him and let's be with Him all throughout the way. Let's pray together.
Let's pray uh, just for a little bit in response to the word, and uh, we'll respond with the song. Um, but I think what I really desire for you uh, as my church uh, is that you are free from the pressures of the world, that you are free from your own standards that you have for yourself. Because what's happening right there is that you are trying to be a be God to yourself. But if God is God and we are not, uh, there's freedom. We leave up to Him whatever is outside of our control, and we are free. So let's pray about that together. Um, giving God the control that we don't have uh, and, and ask God to um, really mold our hearts to be free from those um, you know, artificial uh, pressures that we have in our lives let's pray uh, I'll close for us in prayer and also with a benediction but um, can I ask us to think of one thing in your life right now where um, you know that you have a lot of control over. Um, it could be anything, right? It could be um, a variety of things, but perhaps uh, one symptom of this thing might be this thing uh, keeps you up at night. Um, this thing uh, dictates you know, all your days um, maybe the main topic of the conversations uh, with the people around you. That is a thing that you really want to control. But Jesus is saying to his disciples um, that he's the one uh, who is to satisfy you, not those things. And when you follow him, he's got you from beginning to the end. Just think of that and ask God to give you strength to uh, ever gradually but surely grow to overcome uh, those idols in your life. And trust Jesus. will grow you when you spend time with him, when you are with him. The one who will um, be your provision. 300 men are enough to defeat 135,000 people. I will be your provision. I'll take care of you. And I got your future too. In fact, Jesus Christ died and rose again, so our future is bright for those who are in Christ. So let's strive to surrender that thing in our lives together right now uh, as we gather our hearts together in prayer and God answers our prayers. So let's pray together and I'll close with us in prayer and benediction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we um, acknowledge our weakness we acknowledge 
um, our inability to overcome these things that we just uh, brought out to you. But thank you that you are the one uh, that uh, overcomes those things for us. You break our chains. So thank you for starting the process right now, perhaps for some of us. Things that have been just chaining them. Um, help them to let go. And as they are with you, um, may they get to understand and experience you as their provision in the bright future. Oh Lord, help us experience your love and care for us during this time.